special. Welcome everyone up to the stage. Yay. All right, uh, how y'all doing this morning? Okay, so this is the first time we've done uh, an infant baptism, so we don't know what we're doing here at Grace Life. Come a little closer. Come closer. All right, so um, first of all, let me just say this. Um, redemption is amazing. Redemption is amazing. And um, I'm so excited about this today. Um, this is David, and this is Natalie, and this beautiful one right here, Edward Leonardo Cooper. <laughs> um, let me explain what we do with this. So uh, a lot of people don't know what infant baptism is about. <clears throat> Let me explain the benefits and what the purpose of it is. Baptism is merely a symbol. It is not supernatural. It does not cleanse. It does not save. It does not transform. What it does, it allows people to identify with a particular Savior, Jesus. Now, little Edward is not old enough yet to really understand grace and faith, but his parents are. And what his parents are saying when they say, Pastor Joe, would you baptize our son? What they're saying is, we recognize how important the grace life is in our life, and we want it for our son. So we want him to have all the earthly benefits of being a part of God's people. And that's what baptism is for a child. It's a, it's a parent saying, we want to make sure that our son has all the benefits of being a part of the grace life. Now, later on, as God works and calls little Edward into his family, God will save Edward as he sees fit. But what we are saying as a church is two things. First of all, we are saying as a church, we are going to help you raise your child in the grace life, and you're going to help us live the grace life at the same time. It's a covenant between us and God saying we are God's people, and we're going to live that way. So we're going to do this now for the first time for the, uh, a baby baptism at Grace Life. So if we spill any water or you get a little wet in the first three rows, don't. Yeah, yeah there's a splash. It's the Gallagher baptism. All right. So Jen's going to bring me the bowl. So you want to um, bring him closer to me? I'll, don't worry. I won't hold him that way. He won't fall. All right. So um, let's pray first. Heavenly Dad, I just want to thank you so much for what you're doing. First of all, in um, mom and dad's life. That's an amazing story. And we're just so thankful for the power of mercy. We pray for little Edward this morning, that you would help us. We are as young as he is as a church. <laughs> we're not much older. <laughs> and so, God, I just pray that you'll help us to have wisdom and discernment and understanding of how to help this family raise him in the grace life. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So little Edward... I want to welcome you to the Grace Life family, and I baptize you, my little brother, in the name of the Father and of the Son. It's cold, ain't it? <laughs> and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen. God be praised. Thank you so much. Now, um, Jen, Jen has some things for you guys she'll give you later. She's got some stuff to give you, but you can help them down right. now. Okay, great. Guys, thank you so much. What an honor and a privilege. Love you guys. Thank you. And for those of you 
For those of you familiar, you know why it's pretty emotional, isn't it? By the way, just to make sure you know that uh, there is a ministry that uh, Father, that Ed's father, David, helps run on Monday nights called Grace Life Recovery. It meets at the Nightlife Center on Monday nights at 6.45 for pizza, and at 7 o'clock we get things cranking. It's one of the most amazing ministry experiences I've ever had in my life. The last two or three weeks, I had over 60 people come to it, and some of them are here. You can smell them. They're here tonight. It's just a joke, people. It's just a joke. We love them. In many respects, it's the lifeblood of our church in many ways because it embodies redemption and mercy. So in case you haven't figured it out, my name is Joe Davis. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Life Sarasota. This is our first Palm Sunday together. We are not doing a Palm Sunday message. Today we're continuing in our series that we're looking at Jesus in Genesis. We're looking at pictures of Jesus within the stories of Genesis. And today we're looking at Genesis 39, 13 through 23. By the way, later on, we do have the Lord's table, so make sure you stick around for that. Don't leave if my sermon's boring. There's something good at the end. <laughs> do you ever feel like quitting? Yes. Do you, any of you? Do you I, listen, I know the feeling, and we're going to talk about a little bit more about Joseph this week and the time in his life that he felt like quitting. I didn't put the passage up there because it's a little long, so if you guys would just bear with me as I read these 10 verses, and I'll try to read it as interestingly as possible so you don't drift, Okay. <laughs> I wish I could read it like Morgan Freeman. That would bring you in, wouldn't it? As soon as she saw, that would be great. <laughs> All right. And as soon as she saw that he had left uh, his garment in her hand and fled out of the house, she called to the men of the household and saying to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to try to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard it, I lift my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. And then she laid up his garment uh, by her until her husband came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought in among us came in to laugh at me and to dishonor me. But as soon as I lifted my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled. As soon as the master heard these words that his wife spoke, This is the way your servant treated me, his anger was very kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners and whoever came into the prison. Whatever was done there, Joseph was the one who was in charge of making sure it happened. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because he knew the Lord was with him. And whatever Joseph did, the Lord made it succeed. Let me explain this story. So what's going on? We have a guy historically who has blessed Joseph, but he's also hated. <clears throat> so here's what happens, right? In this story, um, Joseph is very well liked by some, but he's hated by others because God has given him favor. And what happens in this story is that he is a guy who is a child of the covenant. We talked about that last week. Joseph is part of this covenant with Abraham. It's part of God's plan. And he is a target because of that. He is a target of the enemy. The enemy wants to destroy Joseph's life. And there's a couple ways in this story what happens is when Joseph sold into slavery, somehow he comes into the house of this rich Egyptian master and Joseph rises up in his house and becomes in charge of the guy's whole house. 
And he says, Joseph, I'm going to go away on a trip. You're in charge of my house while I'm gone. Now, apparently, Joseph was hot, good-looking guy. And Potiphar's wife sees that. His, her husband's gone, and she tries to seduce Joseph. And Joseph's a man of integrity. And when she says, come, come be with me, he runs so fast that he leaves his cloak. He says, I'm not doing This is wrong. And he leaves. And she feels a little bit scorned. She feels a little bit embarrassed. I can't. And she screams out like he was trying to force himself on her. So now he's accused of rape. She tells her husband when he comes back. And he's thrown in jail. Now here's Joseph. A while ago we talked about the fact that his brothers had deceived him, thrown him into a pit, beaten him, and then sold him into slavery. And now it looks like he's coming out of this horrible thing where he's been betrayed by his brothers and all this stuff and, and all these things happen. And he works his way up and he's in charge of this rich guy's house. Finally, right, he gets a break. And now he's accused of rape. And he's thrown in jail. If there's ever a guy that felt like quitting, it was probably Joseph. Nothing I do, no matter what happens, things don't work out my way. Anybody ever felt like that? Just me. <laughs> That's what Joseph was going through. And get this, he gets thrown into prison. And he thrives in spite of it. The scripture says he was so honorable. He was such a good guy. Everybody liked him so much that he's put is a prisoner. And he's put in charge of the prison. And the scripture says that Joseph was so good at running the prison as a prisoner that the jailer never even worried about anything. That, oh, Joseph's got it. It's kind of like how I feel about Dylan on Sunday morning when Dylan's setting up the stage. I come in here. He does it all right. Yeah, give it. There you go. Okay. You do know that, right? That there's somebody here every morning on Sunday about 645 setting all this up. And it's Mike. Joe and Dylan and a couple other people that show up, but it's like, I don't have to worry about it. That's the way Joseph was with this jailer. In spite of all of it, he's thriving. You think that Joseph, if he ever felt like he couldn't get a break, wanted to quit, this would be the time. I mean, all the things that have happened, and every time he goes somewhere, he, th he thrives. So let's talk about the theology. What is it that God does in this? I, I, I want to introduce you a concept called hopelessly successful. Hopelessly successful. How many of y'all feel like that? That's what I thought. None of you. Okay. <laughs> At the end of the scripture that we read today, it says, and whatever Joseph did, the Lord made it succeed. Let me explain to you. These stories about Joseph are direct ties to God's promise to Abraham and to us. I want you to understand something. Joseph is not the one that gets credit for being able to rise to the top of the master's house or gets credit for be rising to the top of the prison or later on becoming second in charge of Egypt. From prison to Egypt, second in command. He doesn't get credit for this. It's not because he was so smart or so brilliant. It's God fulfilling his promise to Abraham and to us saying no matter what happens, the enemy will not succeed in his life. He will thrive. Now, I'm not talking about, there's this idea about, out there that some preachers preach is called this name and claim it gospel. That's garbage. I'm not talking about that. Joseph wasn't deserving of this because of his hopeless successfulness. He wasn't deserving of it. It was about grace. He didn't earn it. He didn't name it and claim it. 
This is not the non-biblical prosperity gospel that so many preach, particularly on television. Joseph was actually quite far from being perfect. And his life was certainly not void of pain. Would you agree with that? He had a lot of pain, a lot of anguish. He had a lot of betrayal and a lot of suffering. The reason he was successful is because even in the midst of pain and suffering, and by the way, I'm sure there are some times that he brought some of that on himself, God was going to make sure that he thrived. Not so that Joseph could enjoy his life, but so that God could fulfill his purpose. So I want to talk about some ways that, that there's some ingredients in Joseph's story linked to Abraham and to us. And this thing have, we as a church have called the Great Commission. God never left him. Matter of fact, Jesus says that at the end of uh, his life before he goes back up to heaven after he's resurrected. He says, I'll never leave you. Just like Joseph. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. God controlled those in power. Right? He controlled the jailer. He controlled the master. He controlled Pharaoh. God says, all power has been given to me on heaven and earth in our great commission. Your seed will bless all nations. God put Joseph in charge of Egypt. See, do you see the similarities between why God was making sure Joseph was successful or the same reason that God will make sure we as a church are successful? Not because we're smart, not because we're brilliant, although some of us, and not because we're perfect and not because we deserve it, but simply for this. God's never going to leave us. He's in charge. And he's sovereign. And he's going to make sure that we bless all people. That's the idea behind what God is doing in Joseph's life. He is preserving him. He's helping him thrive, not so Joseph can be rich, but so Joseph can fulfill the purpose of blessing all nations. So now let's get to the fun part. Let's talk about the devotional part of this message today. The devotional answers the question, what about me? What am I supposed to do and why and how do I do it? A new concept for you, passive perseverance. Passive perseverance. You know, we can see this concept taught all throughout the New Testament. I'm going to read some verses to you. Okay, you ready? These are great. John 16, 33. I have said things, these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That's Jesus talking. 1 John 4, 4. I love this one. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. This is the same concept, the reason why Joseph would thrive. You understand that. There's another one. Matthew chapter 5, 11 through 12. Blessed are you when others revile or hate you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely, like with Joseph, falsely accused, on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And there's this concept all throughout the New Testament where Jesus warns his disciples and he says, listen, the world doesn't like you. The system is not set up to have you succeed. But don't worry, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm in charge. And even though they don't want you to bless them, you will bless all nations. And I will do whatever it takes to fulfill my promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph, to my son Jesus, and now to my church. You know what we call this in Reformed theology? We call it perseverance of the saints. 
Don't let that phrase go in and out without really thinking about what it means. It's just like us humans, isn't it? To think about how perseverance of the saints is for us. Well, perseverance, that means no matter what happens, no matter how sinful I get, I'm always going to go to heaven. That's what we think about with perseverance of the saints, right? Like, it's really good that God preserves us because no matter what happens, I'm safe. But it's very selfish for us to think about perseverance in that way. See, I think what we do is we look at the story of Joseph and we think, man, I wish I could be like Joseph and thrive. But that's not what perseverance through God's promise is about. It's not just about our salvation being secure. It's much, much more than that. And we have to get out of our little selfish bubble to recognize that we often fail to see how perseverance fits and benefits God's plan first and those around us, and those yet to receive the gift of faith. See, it's our ability to thrive no matter what's going on, even when we feel like quitting, even when we are betrayed by family, even when we are thrown in prison, even when we are accused of things that aren't right, even when things and circumstances don't work out right. In all of that, our ability to thrive in God's covenant with us is for this reason, so that we will be absolutely 100% successful in impacting the world around us with the grace life. When we experience the weight of the world arrayed against us, just as it was, right, with Joseph, we can know this, and I'm promising, we can know that no matter how bad or hard our circumstances get, it won't derail God's covenant with Abraham, with us. No matter what happens, if you are a child of God, you know what? You will be salt and light to the world around you. Think about this for a minute. No matter what the world does to you or no matter what you do to you, if God has called you to be a child of the covenant, you are going to fulfill the Great Commission. You're going to have an impact. Frankly, i got to tell you, I would not want a gospel that was set up any other way. I am not interested in a gospel that would fail based upon my decisions or outside circumstances that come into my life. You follow me? Like if the gospel being successful and helping me thrive is hinged upon how good a decision maker I am, strike one. <laughs> or if it's based upon making sure that nobody else outside of me is a bad decision maker, strike two. If that's your gospel... I don't want it. It's a waste of my time. I don't want a gospel that won't make me an effective kingdom agent because of my bad decisions or bad decisions by those around us. Wait, am I saying that God even uses us while we're in sin? You betcha. That's exactly what I'm saying. Can anybody relate to that? Have you ever been in a situation where your life is not going great, you know you don't have your stuff together, and all of a sudden God puts you in a position where you're able to minister to someone? By the way, if you think you're going great and you minister to somebody, it's not because things were going great. The same reason God used you when things were going well is the same reason God used you when things aren't going well, because he promised he would. Let me read this to you. 
This is an emotional passage for me. It was brought to my attention earlier this week. I was talking about it with a friend. I'd like for you, as I read this, do everything you can to pay attention. It's Paul talking. What shall we say then to these things? I mean, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The Great Commission. Who shall bring a charge against God's chosen? It is God who justifies. Who can condemn you? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, what we will celebrate next week, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? No. What about distress? No, he lists these things. How about persecution? Famine? Nope. Nakedness? Nope. Danger? Nope. The sword? No. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. That's how the world sees us. No, Paul says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not through our religion, not through our ability to be good people, not through our ability to give a lot of money, not through our ability to make good decisions. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, he gets really, I mean, he gets really rolling here. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things that are here right now, or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you think he covered it enough there? This, my friends is the certainty of the covenant that God made with Abraham, that God kept with his great-grandson Joseph, that he is keeping right now, even as we speak, with us through the Great Commission. Does that passage that I just read sound to you like a God that is saying the gospel is tenuous? It might keep you for salvation, but everything else is really up in the air. Is that what it sounds like to you? He's saying, not only is your salvation secure, your effectiveness in being a kingdom agent is secure. I know you might be a liar. I know you might be immoral. I know you might be an addict. I know you might be a thief. I know you might be a two-faced hypocrite. I know all those things. That's why I sent my son. So you could be redeemed from that and be a part of the covenant, and have no doubt in your mind, not only will I keep you for the day of salvation, I will make you a part of the day of salvation for others that God brings into your life. Guys, that's the grace life. So, no matter what your circumstances, none, doesn't matter. Whether they're a result of your own flaws, or the result of the evil in this world, right? Both of those can happen. No matter what, this passage in Romans applies because God promises 
to make you a secure, successful part of his plan of redemption. You will thrive in the work of God's kingdom. There is no question. We're going to do something else today. We've never done uh, baptism before. We've never done the Lord's table with baptism before. We're still not good at the baptism. This is only the third time, so I'm probably going to spill wine again, but you can deal with that, right? (laughs) So in a minute, Megan's going to come up. Now, in a minute, I'm going to ask you to serve each other. And there's these kits on the table. You can see them right there, right? There is a, um, on the top is this little wafer. um, And you peel that back. Don't do it yet. Don't, don't you, don't you drink that right there. I want you to. But what happens is you'll peel the top and there's the bread and then you peel it again. It's a really cool little thing. And then there's the grape juice, right? And we're going to take about two minutes to do this, maybe three. And if you get done quickly, feel free to kind of talk and share with one another. Kind of like how we feel during our 10.30 or 10 a.m. gathering time. This worship time, this time of the Lord's table is not designed to be somber and quiet. It's designed to be a celebration of the power of the cross that has, get this now, listen, it's a celebration of the fact that the cross has made us hopelessly successful children of the promise. And what we'll do, what we'll do is we're going to have it up there so you guys are going to serve each other. You'll find a partner and you'll serve each other. And the first thing you'll say as you're serving your friend, you'll say this is to remind you of the work of Jesus on the cross. And then after they've taken the bread and the juice, you'll say, I am thankful that the cross has brought us together as children of the promise. That's how we'll do it together. Not yet, because I have to say some other things. I know you're hungry. Just back off, okay? So I'm going to move this. This is a very tenuous activity that I'm doing right here. I did it. Good. So I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 26 and explain how this happened. This was the Lord's, the last supper with his disciples. And he was saying, I'm doing this so that you will remember what I'm about to do. And every time you celebrate the Lord's table, you'll think of me. Here's what he said. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after he blessed it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat. This represents my body which is broken for you. And then he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this, drink it all of you, for this is the symbol of my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So now you'll take, you'll find a partner, and you'll serve one another, and you'll use the lines that are up on the thing, on the screen, and then just... Gluten-free in the back. If you're a gluten-free person, there's gluten-free in the back. 